Well, good morning, church. What a joy to gather together and celebrate the greatest gift that's ever been given to anybody. Amen. It's always interesting to me as we share the responsibility of doing communion amongst the elders of the church and how God often ministers to me in that time. You know, church can become lacking in Jesus. Church can become a thing you do on Sunday. It can become a place that you go. God help us to not ever reach that place to where we forget who Jesus is. Without Him, we're, as Paul said, most miserable of all men. This morning, if you turn again once to, again to your Bibles and to 1 Timothy chapter 5, I want to take just a little step back, and I also want to remind you that in the context of any pastor, whether it be me or somebody else, teaching the Word of God, the Holy Spirit may have a word very specifically for some particular person who's here. And sometimes, as you've seen me do, I preach and sometimes I teach and sometimes in between the two and every once in a while I simply share what's on my heart. I want to encourage you that the Holy Spirit is in you your hope of glory and in you the translator of the things that might be said and in you is that personal God that allows you to receive or to take away something very specific. Because the pastor says something with intensity does not necessarily mean that it was designed to lay on your shoulders. There are times when I feel that the Lord would have me say something in a strong way. We would call that an exhortation. There are times when I believe the Lord would tell me to soften that message. I'm just trying to hear from God. And I say this to say this to you. If I have offended you or hurt you in some way, and you think that there's something between us, I would ask that you come to me, and that you speak that to me as opposed to sharing that with the body of Christ. Because if you share it with the body of Christ, and you don't come to me, then the enemy can use it for evil. It's very important because it keeps both of us in the will of God. And so I am a human being and upon occasion will say things that I mm, wish the Holy Spirit had edited that as it comes out of my mouth. I am not perfect. But prayerfully, when it comes to the Word of God, I handle it carefully, and I believe I do that. But sometimes those applications may come across to you as something, oh, I can't believe he said that. If you have a problem with what I said, come to me, please. I implore you in the name of Jesus. And we'll see that in our passage this morning. In light of that, I want to take a little step back from last week. And again, I want to remind you that these words written to a church in Ephesus as they were written to Timothy as a letter of instruction, 
they were written about a time in which we do not live. And so there is a tremendous amount of time taken here in chapter 5 over the issue of widows. Can I share with you that that is not quite as important today as it was then, that particular issue. But what is the important issue is the family taking care of itself. That, that we would see that very clearly and not put that burden upon any unit of society. For I do believe that if we solve that issue, we're, we're going to be solving a lot of things that ail this nation. And I want to take a step back now and kind of soften this next passage. Last week I preached. This week I want to teach. I want to join you in hearing these things. And so as we dig into the word, we're going to go back to verse 7 because we need to for context. And so would you pray with me? Father God, we come this morning and Lord, we ask that you attend unto our needs individually. And God, as we gather corporately, we recognize that your Holy Spirit can speak to each of us. Even as words are spoken, Lord, your Holy Spirit can interpret and move and cause us to hear. And Lord, as we're hearers, let us be doers of the word. Lord, let us not deceive ourselves into believing that there are multiple standards. Your standards are high. Help us to uphold the name of Jesus and live these things before you rightly. We bless you. We thank you for this time, Lord. Pray now that you would speak to each of us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 7 here in 1 Timothy 5, and again, I want to read from some of the more modern translations today because I think it helps us understand a little clearer what Paul was writing to Timothy. And he says in the New International Version, give these people instructions too, so that no one may be open to blame. One of the most critical things for us to take away from chapter 5 is that we are protecting the name of the Lord. What we do has either an adverse effect or a positive effect for the kingdom. Because the moment we tell people that we're Christians, the moment that our lives are known for the glory of God, the moment that people look at you and say, well, yeah, where do you go to church? And you say, well, I go to Calvary Chapel Running Springs. They immediately begin to understand what they know about our God from how you live. How you conduct yourself. What you say. And so the important part here is, how does what we say and what we do affect the kingdom? Because it would be hypocritical for me to teach you one thing and then do another myself. Amen? It would be hypocritical for me to require something of someone who's maybe a lesser person in the body of Christ than is required for the pastor. You see, the standards are the same for each of us, and that standard is the holiness and the righteousness of God. That's the actual standard. And now Paul is writing to Timothy to apply some of these things in a sense that we're meeting the needs of the body of Christ, caring for the body itself so that when people see us interacting with each other and with the world, they get the right impression of who our God is. 
How many people have gotten the wrong impression of God's love because of the way the church has acted to itself? Because the way the church has treated its own members. And of course, their natural thought and Satan being opportunist seizing on that would say if they treat each other that way, I can only imagine what me, a mere sinner, would have happened to him. Is it any wonder that people sometimes are afraid of church? Is it any wonder that people would leave the church? Is it any wonder that God, quite frankly, would receive the blame and the black eye for the body of Christ? And so Paul writing to Timothy, in essence, says, you know what, we need to not plan to fail. We need to plan to win. We need to have a plan in these areas of provision for the needs of the body of Christ. For failure to do so causes God's name to be blasphemed. It causes God to get the blame. It causes the Lord to, to in essence, wear the dirty stain upon his garment of holiness. And so here, of course, we're dealing with the issue of widows and Really, quite frankly, in our day and time, it might actually be applied even more clearly in in the sense of just general needs in the church and in broken homes. Of course it applies as it is written to widows. But what about those needs that we see in other people's lives that we ourselves can do something about? How How do we respond to them? And of course, verse 8, which we saw last time, for whoever does not provide for relatives, especially for family members, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And so if we say the church should be part of the solution and not part of the problem, and then we fail to be part of the solution, the world says, do they really believe these things that they say? It becomes an issue of integrity, doesn't it? The church must do what it teaches. And when the church fails to do what it teaches, then the church has given the world the wrong impression of the God whom we serve. And so that is the context. That's why Jesus there in Matthew 5, verses 46 and 47 For he said, therefore, if you love those who love you, what reward have you? You see, these things are easy to do. I love buying things for my children. I just do. Probably most of you who are parents today say the same thing. You know, they're just like, oh, thanks, Dad. You know, that's so awesome. I enjoy seeing the glow on their face as they're walking through a sports chalet and they're loading the cart. I love that. That's easy. But what about when someone slanders you or slaughters your character or makes false accusations against you when you've been trying to help them? It's a lot tougher to love then, isn't it? happens in our homes. He said, do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Even the world does that. You want to see that matching, go to a football game. you got a bunch of people, they're greeters maximus. 
looks like the Roman Colosseum. They're just reveling and having a great time. I mean, that's not where the rubber meets the road, is it? Do not even the tax collectors do so? And therefore you shall be, and I want you to circle these two perfects, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, of course, in the absolute sense of that word perfect, that's an impossibility. I will never be perfect as God is perfect. But the point is, that is the standard. That's the standard. To as much as it lies with me, I am supposed to be exactly as I know God to be. I'm to look at those needs, and my Father God meets the needs. I'm to look at that lack of love, and I'm to be loving when others aren't. I'm to see that hurt and care about it. I am to be a representation of the Lord, first in my own family, and then in the world. And so the context here is not what we know. It's what we do. It's not theory. It's application. It's not a word that lies on a page. It's a lifestyle that is lived out before the world to see. That's it. That's why Jesus said, if the salt loses its savor, for what good is it but to be trampled underfoot? You see, if we cease doing what God's called us to do and being what God's called us to be, then we've misrepresented Him. And I know that's not anybody's heart in this room. But I believe this word to us today is what in our lives needs a tune-up? What can we do better? I know it is for me. I can tell you emphatically that's what it is for me. What can I do better? How can I be kinder? How can I soften maybe perhaps those words that I would say so that someone wants to receive them? Things in our own lives that only we know. No place is that more quickly brought to bear than, of course, in our own families. And so he brings forth these needs that we'll go on now to look at. And it says, let no widow be put on the list of widows unless she's over 60 and has been faithful to her husband. And I want to remind you that there are a few verses here that people look at, and I myself have often wondered, gosh, that seems awfully harsh. But I don't think it is. I think it's the reality of being familiar. Those of you that have been married for a while, you know exactly what I'm talking about. How often do we forget to do what we need to do because we've done it so many times? Take that extra moment to tell your wife that you love her, your husband that you love him, that you're thankful for them. You see, that old axiom that says, with familiarity comes contempt, is very often true in a practical sense. And I believe the church very often is guilty by not paying attention. Getting too familiar with situations. And in this case, 
the world was filled with widows. The world was 50% by some accounts, widows. People didn't live very long, and almost all the time, the wife significantly outlived the husband. And at this point in time, there was no social services. There, there were no places you could go to get aid. And if your family didn't take care of you, you died. And so the church stepped into that gap. And the church stopped being familiar with that same widow woman on the corner and they could no longer walk past her. They couldn't go out their door and look at their neighbor's need and not do something about it. You see, that's the way I believe God wants us to tune our own selves into this world. That we'd not become so familiar that we'd forget. But that we'd look at the genuine needs that exist. And it's interesting here that unless a widow's over 60, it's been remarked by numerous historians of the time that virtually no one lived to be 60 at that day and time. I think that's important. Because what it's really saying is it's the family's responsibility to take care of their own. And it doesn't matter what mom did or did not do. doesn't matter how lousy a grandparent that person was. It isn't predicated on anything but the love of God that overlooks faults, takes weaknesses and ministers to them, takes brokennesses and fixes them, takes unforgiveness and bitterness and heals it. And then works for the glory of God in people's lives. And so it seems as though that the family then became a glorious extension of our own personal relationships with the Lord. Parents, can I share with you, every moment of every day that you are awake with your children, you're teaching them something. You are teaching them what it means to be a father. You're teaching them what it means to be a son. You're teaching them what it means to be a daughter and a mother. You're teaching them how to apply God's word in those relational areas of life. And they will learn more, and I can tell you as someone who has spent countless thousands of hours with kids, and that is not an exaggeration. Thousands of hours with kids. Listening to them pour out their hearts. They're watching. They're listening. They're checking to see how you live your life. And that is the number one way they learn what they learn in life. For the good or for the bad. That's why family is so important. Because if we won't take these things that we know about God and live them in our own lives, our children are learning to do the same. And thereby, the generations that follow become less and less in tune with the things of the Lord. Now do you understand why our country is in the mess it's in?
because the church has become less and less involved. The, the body of Christ isn't doing the things that it should do. And again, I say to you in great love and tremendous respect for all of you, I am not pointing my finger. I'm saying in a general sense that to the extent that my home is a home where Christ is glorified, and my home is a place where these things are done, and my home is a place that my children can go talk to someone and say, yes, my dad is the same in the pulpit as he is at home. You see, to the extent that that happens, we affect society. But if it doesn't happen, then society is not affected by that salt and light. It doesn't make it out into the public arena. And so Timothy now gets the exhortation that these widows should be well reported of for their good works. She's brought up children. She's lodged strangers. She's washed the saints' feet. She's relieved the afflicted if she's diligently followed after every good work. In other words, if the church is doing what the church should do, then those people who are in the church should have acted like it. We won't be fighting all the battles that we currently fight. Can I share with you one of the things that breaks my heart more than anything else? Probably the most heart-rending thing that I deal with is when I know I have taught the truth. And someone has sat there sometimes for years on end and listened to that truth. To have to then go and hear the heartbroken stories of them not doing it. Well, they heard it, they knew it, but they didn't live it. And now the truth of what was said in God's Word comes alive in a very horribly negative way. Family of God, if you want a secret to eliminating an awful lot of life's issues as, as a believer, be a doer of the Word. I pray that I have faithfully armed many of you for a long time. And I pray that you take those things then and you go into the world you live them. I don't know how much time we have left. But I want my children walking with Jesus. And I want your children walking with Jesus. And I can tell you what breaks parents' hearts is when their kids don't walk with Jesus. Let us endeavor to live these things out. You see, if we live them out, then these avenues of service will be taken care of and people will be living these ways and we won't have all of the collateral damage that we have in the world today. I share with you so much of what I see is a direct result of the body of Christ not living as they should. It breaks my heart. Let it in with us. I shared with you last week, let us be that chosen generation that says we're going to return to the things of the Lord in every part of life, not just in widows and orphans and dealing with needs. But how about let's not make our kids orphans at home? How about let's make sure that we have lived in such a way in our own homes 
that our kids are affecting this world for the cause of Christ. Verse 11, but refuse to put younger widows on the list for when their sensual desires will alienate them from Christ and they want to marry. It's just simply being practical here. Don't forget to blend the practical in with your spiritual. It's what's happening in this particular passage. Of course, a woman who's widowed in her 20s or 30s, the likely best thing for them is to continue to have that wonderful aspect of life known as marriage and family. Some ladies at that point in time may want to full-time serve the Lord and may want to use that singleness to do that, but that's a small percentage. So he's simply being practical here. Sometimes I think we forget to be practical with the application of the things that we, that we hear in Scripture. It's not that tough to put most of this into play in our lives. And all he's saying is Jesus needs to be first in all of this. If the Lord Jesus is first, then everything else takes its proper place. And underlying this particular truth that's being talked about here is, of course, you want that person who knows the Lord to marry someone who also knows the Lord. But if you get overly concerned about how you're going to pay your bills instead of how you're going to please Jesus, if you get overly concerned about whether that guy is a hunk or that woman is beautiful and you forget that you still need to be well-pleasing to the Lord, how many people have made tremendous, horrible life decisions because Jesus wasn't first? How many people have embarked upon some relationship? How many people have gotten into financial trouble? How many people have done things that they knew well not to do because they put something other than Jesus first? Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to live? You see, if I really want to be used in a great way for the kingdom, then Jesus has to be first in me. I'm not exempt from this. You know, sometimes I think people think that because pastors spend so much time in God's Word that we're somehow exempt from all of the things that are here. Like it just happens by osmosis. I have the same struggles you do. I meet the same problems. You know, this time of year it's always interesting, and we joke about it at the camp. The enemy, the last week before we start summer camp, which start today, by the way, I have 400 high schoolers coming. I will leave here and go to the camp and be there until 11 or 12 o'clock tonight. The enemy turns on the heat. Everybody hates you, and nobody like the only way. This is what I heard today, just so you know. The only reason that people even come to the church is you employ them. You see, I go through the same things you do. I, I hear the same things, the attacks from the enemy. The enemy comes after my family, after my children. The enemy afflicts my soul just like he does yours. But what are we going to do with it? Are you going to believe that lie? Of course I know that's a lie from the pit of hell. But don't think for a moment that there isn't a temptation <laughs> You're right, Lord. Oh, that's right. It was the Lord of flies. It wasn't God Almighty that said that. 
But we have to remember that the enemy wants to destroy and kill and maim. He's seeking whom he may devour every single day. And the only way you know the difference is applying the Word of God and listening to the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is not going to be contrary to the Word of God. So I know every once in a while the enemy is going to come after me. You know why? Because six and a half thousand kids are going to come to the camp in the next 16 weeks. And half of them are either not going to be walking with the Lord or not know Him at all. So you think i got a target painted on my forehead? Of course. They're going to get, people are going to get saved. The enemy hates that. And the enemy hates it when your family acts like Jesus. The enemy hates it when your kids are walking with Jesus. And so thereby, Sunday morning, they get up and they turn into demonically influenced evil beings. And you can't get them in the car. And your dog all of a sudden begins to froth at the mouth because it's eaten some dry plants in the house. And you're like, I can't leave my dog to die while I go to church. We, we need to recognize there's an attack. And God will attack you in those areas of need. In this case, these younger widows probably still had a desire to be married. And so what does the enemy do? Well, I don't have enough money. That's why planning is so important. Husbands, please, in Jesus' name, provide for your wives. Take out some life insurance policy. Make sure that they don't have to remarry just simply because you're dead. I know that sounds a little bit terse. I don't mean it to be. But the practical fact of the matter is, if they can't pay the mortgage, what other choice do they have? It isn't going to mysteriously appear. Do the things you can do. Act appropriately according to what you do know. You see, we need to plan for the enemy's attacks because he's going to come after you. He's going to come after me. So he continues. And again, I want to quickly cover these next several verses. And thus they bring judgment upon themselves because they've broken their first pledge. I think that's a little harsh for us to understand what's really being said there. But basically Paul was saying because the marriage vow has now been ended by death, you don't want to end up in a situation to where you would be less than who you are in Christ because of it. You don't want to be tempted, any of us, to now all of a sudden act inappropriately simply because our spouse is gone. You keep Jesus first. And besides, verse 13 says, they get into the habit of being idle. And I will tell you in a heartbeat, this applies to men too. Don't think for a moment that guys don't sit around and do nothing. Well, I don't know. They get into the habit of being idle, going from house to house. They not only become idlers, but also gossips and busybodies and saying things they ought not to. You see, the result of failure to do what God's called us to do is very often things we never thought we'd do. I can tell you, I I talk to so many people, I don't even know how I got here. 
We're supposed to occupy until He comes, not rust. We're supposed to be busy about our Father's business. We will not gel into heaven, okay? We need to be doers of the Word, not understanders only, is another way to look at it. We get busy about the things of God. We have more than enough on our plate. Amen? When I get busy just being a dad, when I get busy being a husband, when I get busy in my chosen profession, which happens to be full-time ministry, two of them, and a part-time one to boot, i got plenty to do. Making sure that Jeff stays before the throne of grace. Making sure that my life is an example. And goes on to say, and I would have the younger widows marry and bear children and manage their households. These are practical statements. Why? Notice what it says. So as to not give the adversary an occasion to revile us. If we're not doing what we should do, then we're probably going to be doing what we shouldn't do. Amen? It's the way it works. You've all heard the axiom, the devil's idle hands are a devil's plaything, or something close to it. Too much time on your hands has too many hands in your time. You see, it is so important that we're busy about our Father's business. When people tell me, well, I'm too busy, I don't really know what too busy is. I was born, I came out of my mother's womb with my hair on fire, what was of it, I think. I just, I'm, I'm wired that way. Ask Connie. Right? You know, the dogs get me up at 5.30 in the morning. I'm cleaning house and washing dishes, and I just don't sit still very well. I'm not suggesting that all of you are in sin if you don't get up and wash dishes and clean house. I'm just saying being busy is a really good way to keep your brain from doing things it shouldn't be doing. For some have already turned aside, verse 15 says, after Satan. Can I tell you that if we're not actively implementing the things that we know about God's character and nature and His Word very often, we're at least not going anywhere, which means the world will eventually overcome you? Sometimes I think the best way to understand backsliding is its failure to go anywhere. You don't have to go backwards. You can just not go forwards and you're going to backslide. Why? Because the world's a mess. You're, you're going to be overtaken and overwhelmed from simply not going forward. I don't know how many of you have been to the deep south and ever been anywhere near a bayou or a swamp. Failure to go forward leaves you standing knee-deep in mud. You either keep moving forward or you're going to be sucked right into the swamp goo. That's the way it works. Matter of fact, you don't even have to move. Just the vibrations of your body will cause you to sink into that mud. We need to be moving forward in the things of the Lord and allowing God to use us in, in amazing new ways. But if any believing woman has relatives, verse 16 now says, who are really widows, let her assist them. And let not the church, notice this, be burdened. So that it can assist those who are real widows. 
how many needs are being taken care of that are actually supposed to be taken care of by individual families, but they've been thrust upon the church or upon government. Amen? You, you see, this is how we solve some of these things that seem unsolvable in our nation today. It's me understanding I have a responsibility to take care of my parents and Connie's parents and my children and when they have children, their children. I, I, I am so tired of hearing, well, I can't wait until my children turn 18 and then I'm not responsible for them anymore. You know, children know when you think that, by the way. Because I've talked to them. And they're afraid. They are afraid. Sometimes I wonder how many kids don't do well in life because they reach the front door at age 18 and mom and dad are standing there with the bags packed. See ya! I don't find that in my Bible, quite frankly. I find exactly the opposite in my Bible. That just because they reach the legal age of 18, my children are still my responsibility. And I'm to love them with an everlasting love as my Lord loves me until I go home or they go home. That's the way it's supposed to work. But if I push my kids out on society, I say, well, your problem now. Praise God, they're no longer on my insurance. I understand. But ought we not do things Jesus' way? I don't see that here. I see the opposite of that here. It doesn't mean that you don't give them a good work ethic, by the way. And it doesn't mean that you help, don't help them succeed. Of course you do, because they won't be able to help you unless you help them. It's supposed to be something that what goes around comes around. Amen? Problem is, a lot of times it goes and then it never comes back around. I've been having this weird time having Brandon home from college. I must be a fruitcake or something. I don't know, but I'm actually enjoying having my nearly 20-year-old home. I like it. I enjoy having him around. It's completely different. You see, sometimes I think we've gotten the wrong impression. That somehow we've done our job. My job will be done when I take my last breath. That's when my job will be done. When I get to the end of my life and I say, <sighs> couldn't do any more. Thank you, Lord, for the years you gave me. I pray that the effect that we have had as the body of Christ is to instill that in everybody that we've ever met. You know what? That's hard sometimes, isn't it? May mean you got to go without something that you really want. May mean you have to alter your lifestyle in some way, shape, or form to to meet that higher calling. It's glorious. It's wonderful. It's a life of faith. And so here we see that picture kind of unfold before us. And as that picture unfolds, 
Paul is now going to go on. He's going to begin to talk about pastors and elders and teachers and those in leadership in the body. And we'll get that one next time. But the application is, and I want to give you a little preview, you should be able to look at my life. You should be able to look at the leadership in this church, the elders of this church, the pastors of this church, and see them doing these things first. Because what happens ultimately is most everyone sinks to the lowest common denominator. Very few people are actually wired to succeed when everyone else is doing less around them. That's a very rare individual. We call it stasis. Things begin to kind of settle in to a certain level. And what's being said here is raise the level. Raise the bar. Keep the standard high in Christ. Make it so that these things are so evident around us that everybody wants to be at that level. And that's why he's going to go on now and talk about church leadership again. Because if I don't put the bar up here, and I don't mean to tell you that I've arrived, I'm just saying the standard's Jesus, amen? How can I expect you to reach some place I myself will not go? How can I ask of you something I myself will not do? How can I tell you that something is thus says the Lord when I don't believe it's thus says the Lord? Because I failed to act on it. The importance here, family of God, is, is that when each of us hears and is a doer, we solve a vast majority of these problems that come into life on a daily basis. I can tell you the conflicts that I've had with my children have largely been because maybe I've been unkind or I haven't been a good listener. I haven't been slow to speak. I have ones, he's smarter than I am. And it's embarrassing when your children are smarter than you are. You know, all of a sudden you just, you just got to talk just because you don't want them to. Have I applied those things in my own life so that they can look and say, you know what? My dad is not a hypocrite. My wife should be able to say the same thing. I pray that we'll be encouraged by these words and not beaten down by them in any way, shape, or form. You will never get better unless you challenge yourself. Amen? I don't know about you, but I've never gotten better at anything except to attempt to reach a higher goal. And it doesn't matter whether it's in sports or in business or in some facet of life. Probably all of you have some of those 6th grade, 7th grade shop projects laying around from your kids. Amen? You ever looked at some of the stuff that they built later on in life after they really figured out how to use some of those tools? A little different story, isn't it? Maybe you can look at that example and say, you know, maybe right now I'm just building a wooden box to put pencils in. Maybe that's as good as you can get, but you're looking at that wonderful piece of furniture that you actually want to build. 
And you're saying, what do I need to do to build that? How do I take that next step? And I would say to you, it's incremental. They're small steps. I haven't met a person yet that just makes leaps and bounds that are meaningful. I think our walks with the Lord are described as a walk because they're a walk, not a leap. Sometimes things happen much more slowly than we'd like. I know there are areas in my life that are like that. There are areas that's just like, boom, done. And there are areas that's like, mm, boy, that's slow. May we not change the standard to meet our pace. May we not change the standard to meet our pace. You see, whether you finish at the beginning or you finish at the end, the goal's still the same, and that's to be like Jesus. And if we'll be like Jesus, we're going to have the care we should have. We're going to have the understanding we should have. We're going to do the things that we should do. And we're going to affect the kingdom. We're going to affect this world with the real love of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Would you pray? Father God, in me first. Lord, in, in us as a church first. God, let us not forget how important it is that the example that we set be one that tells people of your goodness, your love, Lord, your amazing gifts to us. Lord, the way that you have washed over our faults and weaknesses with your forgiveness. Lord, help us to keep the standard high. Lord, let us help us to live holy lives, acceptable, even pleasing to you. Lord, help us in our weaknesses. Father God, probably each of us could... Write down a few things this afternoon that we need some help in. God, we want to turn those things over to you in our lives so that you can help us get better and do more. We love you, Father God. We're grateful for even the challenges. Lord, help us to never walk past the need, not in our own lives, not in our own homes, or not in this world. We love you. We thank you. And we praise you, Lord, that we can live holy lives because of what Jesus did on Calvary's cross. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship the Lord. Amen. Amen.